Hello and welcome back to The Fall of the Roman Empire. It's Nick Holmes and this is episode 62 called The Last Hope of the West. In the previous episode, we heard about the second sack of Rome, this time by the Vandals in 455. And when the Vandals returned to their ships, they left a city that had been humiliated for a second time. And they left a Western Empire that was a shell of what it had once been. It had no army. It had no wealth. It even had no emperor. Petronius Maximus's body was floating down the river Tiber, ripped to pieces by the Roman mob as he and they had fled the city. So what now? Surely this must be the end? But no, in just under two years, the Western Empire was resurgent under a new emperor called Majorian. Indeed, he would soon be preparing to take revenge on the Vandals by invading North Africa. How did that happen, I hear you asking? Well, let's rejoin our narrative. In June 455, Geyseric sailed back to Carthage with his collection of imperial prisoners, including the Empress Licinia Eudocia and her daughter Eudocia, who was now betrothed to Geyseric's son Huneric. They left a power vacuum in what remained of the Western Empire. But not for long, since the influential Gallic senator, Aparchius Avitus, who we last heard about as the man who persuaded Theodoric, king of the Visigoths, to join Aetius against Attila back in 451, was proclaimed emperor in Arles in Gaul in July 455. Why not in Ravenna or Rome, I hear you ask? Well, the fact that his seizure of the Western throne was made in Gaul rather than Italy was the key point. For in the absence of any obvious imperial candidates in Italy, Avitus was supported by his friends, the Visigoths, and in particular the new king, Theodoric II, as well as the Roman Gallic senators. In itself, this was something of a revolution. The last time a barbarian group had created their own emperor was when Alaric had persuaded the Roman Senate to make Priscus Italus emperor in defiance of Honorius. This hadn't worked and the Visigoths had given up dabbling in imperial politics. But now the Western Empire was crumbling like never before and there was no one to try to stop the Visigoths. Or was there? Provitus made a crucial mistake. He failed to win the full backing of the Romans in Italy. Although the Roman Senate accepted his nomination as emperor in Gaul in July, when he reached Rome at the end of the year, opinion rapidly turned against him for two reasons. The first was discontent in the city at the lack of grain from North Africa. Geyseric had again cut off the grain supply, and although Avitus had almost certainly organised grain to be transported from Gaul, this clearly wasn't enough to keep the citizens happy. In addition, Avitus had brought with him a large Visigothic bodyguard, not only meaning there were more mouths to feed, but he also paid them a handsome wage which the city could ill afford. Consequently, according to one source, he was forced to remove the bronze fittings from the statues and friezes throughout the city to sell them to merchants as scrap metal to raise money to pay the Visigoths. Apparently, this was sufficient to provoke the discontented citizens into a full-scale riot, causing him to flee the city with his Visigoths. The second reason for his downfall was the rise to power of a Germanic soldier called Ricimer, 
Henceforth he will be a key player, if not the key player, in the last years of the Western Empire. Little is known of his origins. His father was apparently a member of the Swavian royal family, the Swavi being one of the Germanic tribes that had migrated across the Rhine in 406 and ended up in northwestern Spain. His mother was a daughter of Wallia, king of the Goths, from 415 to 19, so his lineage was of a distinctly aristocratic Germanic type, but he certainly wasn't Roman. He'd fought in Aetius's army, where he distinguished himself as a capable soldier. This caused Avitus to make him a comes or count, probably before he arrived in Rome in late 455, and gave him command of the defence of Sicily against the Vandals, who were raiding the island after their sack of Rome. There he was successful, and he surprised and defeated a vandal raid outside the town of Agrigentum in around mid-456. What happened next was that as Avitus fled Rome, Ricimer spotted an opportunity to seize power for himself. With his reputation boosted by his recent victory over the hated vandals, he rushed to Rome, where he was welcomed as a hero. The Senate deposed Avitus, and Ricimer pursued him as he fled north back to Gaul. Our sources are vague, but it seems Ricimer first seized Ravenna and killed Avitus's Magister Militum, a Visigoth called Remistus, before tracking Avitus down at Piacenza, where he attacked and defeated his Visigothic bodyguard and captured him. Ricimer would earn a reputation for brutality in future years, but on this occasion he was surprisingly lenient, and instead of executing Avitus, he allowed him to abdicate and retire as the bishop of Piacenza. This clemency was probably because Ricimer didn't want to be seen as a regicide in the eyes of Constantinople. The eastern emperor Marcion had been watching events in the west with concern, but he died in January 457, having given Avitus neither his approval nor disapproval. Thereafter, the eastern empire was too concerned with its own succession plans, as Leo I took power with the backing of the general Aspar, to take much notice of what was happening in the west. But if Ricimer had killed Avitus, this would almost certainly have been seen as overstepping his authority. Another reason might have been a call for clemency by a new star who would dominate Western Roman politics for the next few years, even more than Ricimer, and his name was Majorian. Similar to Ricimer, Majorian had been a senior commander in Aetius's army, but there the similarity ended. Just as Ricimer was firmly of barbarian descent, so Majorian was a blue-blooded Roman. His grandfather had been a magister militum under the Emperor Theodosius I, and his parents were both Roman aristocrats. He joined the army and distinguished himself fighting in Gaul for Aetius. He'd even been selected by Valentinian III as a possible husband for his daughter Placidia in a clearly political move to counter Aetius's growing power. This had infuriated Aetius, who insisted his own son, Gaudentius, would marry Placidia, and despite his obvious liking for Majorian, he dismissed him from the army. 
He was recalled by Valentinian when he assassinated Aetius, partly because he was still popular with Aetius's soldiers, who Valentinian was nervous would take revenge on him. When they did just that, Majorian's position was strengthened even more as the all-round most popular imperial candidate with both the Senate and the army. However, this didn't stop Petronius Maximus from seizing the throne for a brief two and a half months before Avitus did the same with the help of the Visigoths. However, Majorian was not to be denied his chance, and the credit for this lies partly with Ricimer, who knew he would never be accepted as emperor by the Senate and Constantinople because of his Germanic lineage. Therefore, when he rebelled against Avitus, he probably had in mind that Majorian should be the next emperor, subject, of course, to his ultimate authority as kingmaker. With Avitus deposed, both Ricimer and Majorian were content to spend the next year without an emperor, as Avitus concentrated on his liturgical duties as Bishop of Piacenza, they focused on defending Italy from the Vandals and Alemanni. Majorian scored a success against the Vandals in Corsica, ridding the island of the invaders, as well as defeating a minor incursion by the Alemanni, while Ricimer won a major victory against a vandal raid on Campania in southern Italy in which Geyseric's son-in-law was killed. Success breeds success, and these victories motivated the Italian army to hail Majorian as emperor on the 1st of April 457, near to Ravenna. Ricimer gave him his backing. Meanwhile, as mentioned, although Constantinople was initially distracted by its own succession planning, when Leo succeeded Marcion in 457, he gave Majorian his approval, giving the new emperor undisputed authority. Edward Gibbon has said of Majorian that he, quote, presents the welcome discovery of a great and heroic character, such as sometimes arises in a degenerate age to vindicate the honour of the human species, end quote. One of the many things that made Majorian different from Ricimer was that he had a vision to restore the Western Empire. His aim was ultimately to eject the Vandals from North Africa. To do this, he needed to strengthen what little remained of the Western Roman army and navy. And to do that, he needed money. So he began by reforming the hopelessly ineffective tax system. As Gibbon said, quote, the private and public actions of Majorian are very imperfectly known, end quote. But fortunately, we have an unusual insight into his reform of the tax system because 12 laws he passed were preserved by the Visigoths in a compendium of Roman laws which has survived to this day. One of them, published in March 458, entitled De Undulgentis Reliquorum, or On the Remission of Past Due Accounts, remitted all the tax arrears of the landowners and explicitly prohibited public administrators who had a record of keeping the collected money for themselves from collecting taxes. Now, you might well ask, how does writing off tax arrears help increase tax revenues? Well, it seems that by doing this, Majorian hoped to buy the cooperation of the senators to pay their fair share of tax going forward. 
and coming from the Roman senatorial class himself, he was only too well aware that one of the empire's greatest weaknesses was the egregious tax avoidance by the Roman aristocracy. Although we don't have any of the details of the tax system he put in place, we know that he acquired enough money first to recruit a large number of foreign mercenaries and then later to build a reasonably large fleet. It's also worth noting that Majorian's reforms didn't end there. A number of others have survived which show a wish to confront a whole range of challenges which faced 5th century Italy including one entitled Holy Maidens, Widows and Their Succession, which forbade women from entering holy orders until they were at least 40 years old. This was aimed at reducing celibacy among women of childbearing age, which the Romans regarded as one of the main reasons for population decline in Italy. There's also one condemning adultery and another imposed fines on anyone pillaging stone from the great Roman public buildings like the Colosseum and the many temples which had fallen into disrepair. So Majorian was a reformer, keen to preserve Rome's heritage and to put a stop to its decline. Although the Vandals were his ultimate target, his first focus was on securing Gaul. And it's worth pausing for a moment to look at what was happening in Gaul, since there was a complicated political situation. As you know, the Visigoths were the most powerful entity in Gaul, based in the southwest, in Aquitaine. The Franks occupied the northeastern corner, the Burgundians were in the west, where modern Burgundy and Switzerland are. In the northwest were the peasant rebels called the Bagodi and the Amoricans in Brittany. However, central and southern Gaul were still Roman. And the interesting point to note is that they were two rather separate Roman entities. There was the traditional heartland of Roman Gaul in the south in modern Provence, based around still fairly large Roman towns like Arles, Lyon and Narbonne, where the Gallic senators resided. But there was also a Roman province in the north around Soissons, Paris and Orléans that reached even to the English Channel. And this territory had been carved out by Aetius, and contained what was probably the last remnants of the old Gallic Roman army, which had once defended the Rhine, and was under the command of one of his generals called Aegidius. It was this territory which proved to be the longest-lasting Roman possession in Western Europe, even outliving the formal end of the Western Roman Empire in 476, and historians have called it the Kingdom of Soissons, since the city was its capital. Now, Majorian had strong connections with this territory in Soissons since he'd fought with Aetius, and he and Aegidius were friends, so he used this against both the Visigoths and the southern Gallic Romans, who'd supported Avitus and refused to recognise him as emperor. Indeed, it seems that the Gallic senators in Provence revolted against him, as shown by an inscription found in Lugdunum, which is modern Lyon, dating back to 458, which omits to mention the fact that he was elected consul that year alongside the Eastern Emperor Leo I. And in the same year, Theodoric II, King of the Visigoths, attacked Roman Narbonne, the possession of which had always been a long-held Visigothic objective. 
And it was against the Visigoths that Majorian won his greatest victory, leading a newly recruited force of mercenaries across the Alps, which was said to include many of the German and Hun tribes that had previously been in Attila's army and which had broken away as Attila's empire collapsed. He joined up with Egidius's Roman army, marching south from Soissons. Together, they met and defeated Theodoric's Visigoths in a battle outside Arles. The Roman victory was such that Theodoric even agreed to become a Roman federatus or vassal. This rapprochement with the Visigoths enabled Majorian to initiate a campaign with the Visigoths as allies in Spain, recovering territory from the Suevi. Majorian then drove the Burgundians back from Lyon, whereupon they also agreed to return to federate status. Finally, he won the southern Romans to his cause, not only because of his victories over the Visigoths and Burgundians, but also because he wrote off tax arrears for the Gallic senators in just the same way he'd done for the Italian ones. This was when the Roman governor of Illyria, Marcellinus, who'd broken away from Ravenna in disgust at Valentinian's murder of Aetius, pledged his loyalty to Majorian. Now it looked as if nothing could stop the new emperor. Marcellinus promised to move his troops to Sicily in preparation for an attack on the Vandals in North Africa. But despite this offer, Majorian began to build a fleet based in southern Spain, rather than Italy. His objective seems to have been to construct enough transports to take his army across the Straits of Gibraltar. This has attracted criticism from some historians on the basis that an attack from Sicily using Marcellinus's troops would have made more sense. But Majorian was probably mindful that he lacked experienced sailors. The Western Romans had abandoned their Mediterranean fleet after Geyseric seized Carthage, and although Constantinople still maintained a powerful navy, it was entirely logical for Majorian to be cautious about his new ships and to plan for a simple crossing of the Straits of Gibraltar, where the Vandal army was also not stationed. One unlikely anecdote has survived from the pen of the 6th century Roman chronicler Procopius, who wrote that Majorian, quote, who surpassed in every virtue all who were ever emperors of the Romans, end quote, dyed his fair hair black and travelled to Carthage, pretending to be a Roman envoy, so that he could get a first-hand impression of the state of the Vandal kingdom. The story goes that Geyseric met him and showed him the huge quantities of weapons the Vandals had stored in their warehouses. Undeterred, Majorian returned to Spain to supervise his invasion force. But it was Geyseric who was in reality a step ahead of Majorian. Displaying all the resourcefulness that he would later use against the much greater Eastern Roman Armada that was sent against him in 468, Not only did he lay waste the region around the Straits of Gibraltar so that if Majorian succeeded in crossing to Africa, he would find a barren land unable to support his army, but much more significantly, he launched a surprise attack on the 300-strong Roman fleet as it lay at anchor in the port of Elke, near to Cartagena in southern Spain. No details of the battle have survived, but we know the entire Roman fleet was either captured or destroyed. 
One Roman chronicler said that the Vandals succeeded because there were traitors who disclosed the position of the Roman fleet to the Vandals. This leads me to wonder whether it was in fact Ricimer who was behind this, for just as Majorian's star was in the ascendant, so Ricimer's was in danger of being eclipsed. He had started as Majorian's equal, but now he was only one of three senior generals reporting to the emperor, the other two, Egidius in Gaul and Marcellinus in Illyria, both having stronger claims on Majorian's patronage. Such a view would be supported by what happened next, for Majorian was devastated by the loss of his fleet, and although we have no details, according to Priscus, he made a shameful treaty with Geyseric, presumably doing something like recognising Huneric's marriage to the imperial princess Eudocia and the claim their son had on the western throne. Quite why he made such a treaty with Geyseric remains unclear, The Roman Senate was furious that the taxes they'd paid were now at the bottom of the ocean. Majorian decided to go to Rome and explain his position and restore his authority. But he never got there. Priscus tells us, Now as Majorian was crossing to Italy, Ricimer plotted death for him. Majorian dismissed his army after the defeat and returned to Rome only with his bodyguard. But Ricimer's men arrested him and removed his purple cloak and his diadem. They beat him and then they beheaded him. It was a sad end for an emperor who'd achieved so much. Having killed his former friend, the treacherous Ricimer would now dominate the twilight years of the Western Empire. He was in every way the opposite of Majorian, a ruthless tyrant with no vision except to preserve power for himself. He would now lead what remained of the West into the Dark Ages. And that ends this episode. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. And in the next episode, we'll hear about the tyranny of Ricimer, which will be in two weeks' time on the 3rd of June, since I'm off to Rome for a few days. And in the meantime, do check out my new book, The Fall of Rome, which covers the events leading to the first sack of Rome in AD 410 by Alaric. And it's on Amazon at only $3.99 for the ebook. And if you like it, please do leave a review. That would be amazing. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>